Alrighty, well thank you all for being here this morning. Uh, before, before we begin, let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. We are thankful to be with one another. You have given one another so that we may encourage each other to love you, to encourage each other to worship you. And Father, by lifting up our voices and by being here in person, Lord, we are doing so. Father, I pray that you would bless our time this morning as we as we look at the theology of worship, what worship is and means and how you intended it to be and how it should be in our lives. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time. May you be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So if you have a packet, it looks like this. Don't be afraid that it's this thick. Okay, okay, after I put everything together, I was like, whoa, that is a lot, a lot, but we're going to move through it pretty quickly because we have limited time this morning and hopefully do another one of these next week. So uh, there's just a lot to cover and uh, a lot of this thickness is due to the size of the font, but also I've included scriptures and quotes and things like that to where during the week you can go back and review and not wonder, I wonder what he said, or I wonder what that quote was. It's all right here. So uh, definitely take notes and fill in blanks. I've provided multiples for you. Um, So this morning we're going to begin looking at the theology of worship, and uh, you probably were expecting me to start talking about singing. Um, We'll do that next week, but we have to develop a foundation for why we do what we do and uh, our main point is that we need a basic understanding of what worship is and how it affects our whole being, not just singing. So we'll be looking at three aspects of worship. We are created to worship, we are commanded to worship, and we are compelled to worship. And as we're walking through this study for the next couple of weeks, I've got some resources. I wish I had enough for every single one of you, but, um, but you can pick these up. One of them is Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty, uh, How Worship Transforms Your Life, How It Transforms Your Family and Your Church. Another one is True Worshippers by Bob Coughlin, fantastic book. Of course, we have Tozier on worship. And then lastly... How to Worship Jesus Christ by Carol. So I'll be referencing those uh, today and then some more next week as well. Uh, But let's start off with a question. When I say the word worship, what comes to mind? Hymns, Hymns, okay. Singing. Preaching, prayer. Life. Life. Wonderful. Anything else? Praise. Ascribing worth. Ascribing worth. Sharing. Okay. All right, those are all great answers dead on. Absolutely. 
hear this quote from Bob Coughlin from the, his book, True Worshippers. It's in your notes. It says, heated arguments about worship music styles have divided and destroyed congregations. Performance is often valued over participation, technology over truth. Many songs have been written by musicians who don't know their Bibles very well, resulting in songs that lack gospel and theological clarity. Worst of all, worship has been reduced to almost universally to what happens when we sing. And I'm glad y'all gave the definitions that you gave because it wasn't just singing, 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 right? So we're off to a good start. Um, But did you catch that last sentence? Worship has been reduced almost universally to what happens when we sing. Singing and, and the what and the how is vitally important for us to discuss, but we'll do that next week. But worship involves more than just singing. It's more than the allotted time given at the beginning of the service, before the sermon, and a little bit after the sermon, right? Worship involves the totality of our being, our heart, our thoughts, our actions, our words, and the list continues. I think Phil said life, right? So, let's consider our first point this morning that we were created to worship. A.W. Tozier said, God made us to worship. That's why we were created. Everything has its reason for being here. We have this reason, that we might worship the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So, God didn't create us to be inanimate objects or incapable of emotions or expression. And each one of us has been created with affection, right, to worship something, someone. And at our core level, we were created to place our affections somewhere. And, we, and where we direct our affections shows what we worship, right? We can see that in our own life every single day what we place importance on. But before we go too far, let's start in the beginning, Genesis, right? We were created to worship. We all know that God created everything, including man and woman, in His own image. We see that in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created him. And Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So having read these passages, let's take a second to look at how God created and intended worship to be. So imagine with me the garden. Everything was right and perfect. Everything was the way that God intended. Adam and Eve walked with God. They communed with God. Bob Coughlin says, Eden was an idyllic environment. No sin, no imperfections, no decay or defilement. It was paradise. But it wasn't the environment that made Eden so special. It was what? It's what? It's the presence. 
It was God's presence. And the first couple lived in a world ablaze with God's presence and glory. Adam and Eve instinctively knew that they had been made. They breathed, ate, slept, played, and labored to exalt the goodness and the greatness of God. Worship in the garden was rightly centered on God alone. That is until sin came and sin remained. So for us today, although we we are born in a sinful state, worship should still be centered on God alone. That has not changed except for the fact that we are sinners and we want what we want and we want to do what we want, right? We are daily battling the inner man. Um, So worship should still be centered on God alone because we were created to commune and walk with God. Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Now this passage shows us the intimate relationship that man has with God. It is the way that He intended. He made us. We are His people. We are His sheep. What a sweet communing relationship between the Creator and His creation. In no other part of creation does God commune like this. Imagine the Creator of everything, even the things that we do not see and things we don't understand. He desires an intimate relationship with you and with me. That's the way it should be. And isn't our Creator worthy of worship and adoration? He is not a God that is, that is far off, that created everything and then went away to let everything run on its own. He is active. He is with us. He is near to each of us. But because of sin, we daily battle who we will worship. John Calvin is known for saying that we are a perpetual factory of idols, always producing something, right? So we may not be out and about making idols out of wood and metal and stone and stuff like that. But we find ourselves considering other things in our hearts and our minds more important than the Lord. We devote more of our attention to someone or something other than the Lord. And we find ourselves focusing on that which is a temporary pleasure around us rather than communing with and worshiping the eternal everlasting God. Think about your day. What do you do right when your feet hit the floor? Where does your mind go right when, you hit, right when you wake up in the morning? Is it the Lord? I'm talking to myself, right? right? Hardly ever sleep because of kids. Just kidding. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but what we focus on when we wake up in the morning and throughout our day, right, it shows what we're focusing on. And even Isaiah 53, I put in your notes, that we're like sheep. We've gone astray. We've turned our own way. But we know that's not the end of the story, that we are helpless sheep that don't know the way, right? How has God made a way? 
whispers. Say it out. Let me hear you. Jesus, absolutely. Because of Christ's work on the cross, we are saved. He has saved us. Tozier, in your note, says, We are saved to worship God. All that Christ has done in the past and all that He is doing now leads to this one end, that we worship Him. That we worship Him. And we see this echoed in the following passage, Ephesians 2. says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Ephesians 2.13, But now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And Colossians 1, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. So, we hear key words and key phrases in each of those passages. In your notes, circle them, highlight them, if you carry highlighters, whatever you need to do. Words like reconcile. Phrases like, you who were once far off have been brought near. And also, he made us alive together with Christ. You see that joining imagery there, right? God making it the way it should be, right? And because of reconciliation, we are able to do what we have been created to do, worship God. And now we understand what the chief end of man is, which is what? Absolutely. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So before we move on, let's take a second to think about this. We get to communi- communicate. We get to commune with our Creator and Redeemer when we worship Him. Just let that soak in. I remember when I was younger, I had a youth pastor that would, whenever we would pray, he would remind us, Guys, listen, you get to talk to the Creator. You have a relationship with your Creator. You get to talk to Him. You get to commune with Him. Our prayers just don't go somewhere, right? He listens, right? And as we think about our daily life, that's just not on Sundays or at small group that that applies, but each and every day, through living our lives to please Him by praying, by singing, by staying in His Word, by meditating on His Word. And He desires that we live as He created us to live, to worship Him, and that encompasses every aspect of our life. And so we can proclaim with with revelations and with psalms, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. In Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, our Maker. In Psalm 150, let everything that has breath, where does that breath come from? It comes from the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. So let me ask you a question. How does knowing that we have been created for a single purpose 
to worship God with our lives change what we do and how we do it. No change? Nope, no change at all. Spend our time? Okay. Okay. Yep, priorities, goals, and time. Absolutely. Absolutely. The heart. What else? Absolutely. 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 Those are fantastic answers. Anybody want to add to it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything is done for God's glory now. Our marriages and other relationships honor the Lord, how we relate to one another, right? Our conversations are pleasing to Him. Our work, whether at home or in the workplace, glorifies the Lord. So, let's move on from we are created to worship to look at we are commanded to worship. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Coughlin writes, in response to God's mercy, we're to worship God not simply with our words, feelings, or momentary acts, but also with our bodies, our lives, and since we've been, we've been created to worship and we are seeing that we are commanded to worship, we cannot segment areas of our life. For example, Sundays, Sundays are for the Lord. Monday through Saturday, I can do whatever I want. That's not how it works, is it? Nope, it sure isn't. And that does not represent a life that is changed by the gospel. He created us to be worshipers, the whole of who we are, and we have been commanded by the Lord to direct our worship to Him in all areas of life. And we see this in 1 Corinthians and Colossians. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Will somebody read that out? Do all to the glory of God. Someone pick up Colossians 3. Thank you. The, both of those verses carry a lot of weight. Do you feel the weight of those verses? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, or whatever you do in word or deed, 
Do all to God's glory. Do everything for Him. So we have to ask ourselves, if we do not obey His command, what is that? It's sin, right? It's disobedience. And if we are not obeying God's command for us to worship Him, we are living in sin. We need to examine our lives to make sure we are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing to Him. Every word, every thought, every motive, every act matters to the Lord. That's why He tells us these verses. That's why He gives us these verses. I know we've talked about before, uh, I, I believe, Pastor Dan has mentioned in his sermon that we don't know what to do until the Lord tells us to do what we need to do, right? So, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit at work in our lives so that we can worship Him with all that we are and so that we can obey. So, not only are we created to worship, we are commanded to worship, we are compelled to worship. Number three, we are compelled to worship. So let me ask you a couple of questions and just think, just answer these in your head. Are you captivated by the gospel? Are you amazed by the goodness of the Lord in your life? Does that astound you? Or do we find ourselves, yeah, I've heard that before, right? Are your affections for Christ stirred deeply when you consider how God the Father generously gave His Son so that you could have a right relationship with Him? That is good news. That is great news for us. How about this? Does your heart leap for joy when you meditate on verses like Ephesians 2. We already read a portion of it. I'll read it again in length here. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift. It is a free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." Does your heart leap for joy at that, that we were once dead? And when something is dead, it is dead. There is no pulse, no life. But because of Christ, we are made alive. Amen? You are alive. So it's easy to be compelled to worship when we consider how great God is and how good He is and what He has done for us. And we cannot help but, in return, in response, to live the totality of our life in worship to Him. And we can echo with Psalm 19, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. But what about when you're walking through the trenches of life? We're not guaranteed that our life is going to be smooth sailing, right? I tell you, this week has just been roller coaster after roller coaster. Even yesterday, just roller coaster, just things going on that are distracting me. One of those small things, our printer works at home. 100% of the time, I go and print the lesson for today. It does not work. In fact, I try a different device. It does not work. And then the, the printer just shuts off altogether. Does not work at all. Little hiccups that distract us. So maybe you, you're, you've had a bad week or you know, someone says something that stings, that hurts. Or maybe you're facing a financial struggle, a trial. Or maybe you just received a discouraging report from the doctor. Do not forget the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Don't forget the sovereignty and goodness of God in your life. And the hardships we face, they don't hinder her, and they do not stop God. They do not stop His goodness to you. He is always faithful. He never changes And God will always be God no matter what we face. In fact, what we face has already been ordained by Him, right? All we have to do is trust Him because it's for His glory and our great joy. So by remembering what God has done in the past, we are compelled to worship Him. When we think about His work on the cross and our redemption He adopting us as sons and daughters, all the way to the fact that He has carried you from the time you were born till today, and He has been faithful every single step of the way. That compels us to worship Him. And when we think about what He is presently doing, what is He doing in your life right now, in my life right now? And the the fact that He holds the future that compels us to worship Him. And we do so by keeping our eyes firmly fixed on Him. What other passages come to mind that compel you to worship Him? What verses warm your heart to Him? Yeah. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget any of his benefits, right? What else? Oh, it's a, it's a battle. <laughs> Sorry. Mm. My time's are in. Absolutely. What else? We could probably go all day, right? What else? What are some other verses that compel you to worship Christ? 
good. Absolutely. What else? good it's good may those verses compel us to worship him how about psalm 34 22 the lord redeems the life of his servants none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned and let's go ahead and tie that to romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus what a great promise Another one I thought about was Psalm 18, 1 through 3. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. What a joy it is to hear all these all these passages being read, it lifts our hearts, lifts our eyes to Jesus. It compels us to worship Him. So, by way of application, as we draw near to end time here, I want to read from How to Worship Jesus Christ by Carol about the life of Hudson Taylor. And um, I think one thing that, that we've learned here by doing the, the biographical sermons is that we can learn a lot from those who have gone before us and how to live our lives to worship Christ, to glorify Him. So let me find this passage here, this excerpt. So even in his old age, Hudson Taylor was intentional to spend time with God and worship Him. So bear with me while, while I read this. In the evangelical missionary world, there is no name more revered than Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, a remarkable man, was the father of modern faith missions. What was it that made Hudson Taylor the man he became and was right to the end? His son and daughter-in-law, who traveled constantly with him in his later years, testify that often they would be traveling over hard cobblestone road for many hours in a springless cart. Arriving at a Chinese inn late at night, they would endeavor to obtain a little corner 
in the room for their father, Hudson Taylor. For usually in those inns, there was just one large room where everyone slept. He was now an aged man, but without fail, every morning just before dawn, there would be a scratching of a match and the lighting of a candle, and Hudson Taylor would worship God. This was the key to his life. It was said that ever before the sun rose on China, Hudson Taylor was worshiping God. What was the key to his life? And this, this, this is where it's at. He loved his Lord, and he cultivated that love. After all, it is the first commandment. Love can only be cultivated adequately in aloneness with the one you love, and Hudson Taylor guarded it. Isn't that a sweet reminder for us? That love can only be cultivated in aloneness with the one that you love, right? We love our Creator. We love our Father, our Good Shepherd, because He created us, and He has commanded us to worship Him, and that is a beautiful thing. And we are compelled to worship Him. So what a challenge to us as we discipline ourselves to seek, to live our lives, to worship the one who created us and commanded us and compelled us. So I hope this has been encouraging to you. As I've been preparing this, it's been convicting because just like you, we have areas in our life that, that we try to do things on our own. We are those stubborn sheep but we have a good and loving shepherd that we worship and adore with all that we are. Let's pray, and then uh, I think we have a few minutes to sing. Let's pray. Father, we love you. You are our strength. You are our shield. You are our good and faithful Father. And Lord, thank you that What we've seen this morning is that you have created us to worship, and not only that, Father, you have commanded us to worship because you are worthy of worship, and we are compelled to worship as a response to who you are and what you have done. Father, thank you for these these verses and passages that everyone spoke forth, Lord. I pray that, that... our hearts would be lifted as we worship you, that we would walk away from here changed, not the same as when we got here, that we would desire for every area of our life to glorify Christ and Him alone. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.